So we're continuing about the Kaaba and the things around the Kaaba. So, which brings us to uh, Al Hatim, which is that half circle that's just outside the Kaaba. You know, and uh, it's said that Sayyidina Ismail and Sayyida Hajar are buried there. Allahu Anam. You know how some of these things go, but that was it said that possible that they're buried there it's also said that um, there was some sort of like shelter that Ibrahim built for Ismail there uh, again Allahu Anam but there's a portion of the Hatim that is actually included in the Kaaba because as we mentioned before the Kaaba as it stands today is not on the original dimensions of the Kaaba at the time of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam. so it has uh, as I said about three meters like the three three meters from the Kaaba towards the Hatim, roughly, are included in uh, in the Kaaba. Okay, so uh, and this is this is mentioned in various hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. For example, Aisha reported that she asked the Prophet them about the Hatim and the Kaaba, and he replied that it was part of it. When she further asked why it wasn't included. He said, why, why the Prophet ﷺ didn't you know, include it in part of the Kaaba? She said, because your people, or why wasn't it there? She said, because your people were low on funds. Because we had mentioned when they rebuilt the Kaaba, the Quraysh, they were trying to use funds from only licit sources. And so they ran out and they made it smaller than uh, the original size of Sayyidina Ibrahim <coughs> So that's, there's other narrations that pretty much say the same thing, right? Yes. I do not know. Good question. I feel like it means something, and sometimes that's correct, and sometimes it's not. So I'm just gonna go with I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you remind me, I'll look it up, inshallah. But I don't think he mentioned it here. Aisha uh, radiallahu anha, there's an interesting point here that if you want to pray inside of the Kaaba, you can do so by praying inside of the part of the Hatim that's part of the Kaaba. Right? And then you don't have to go inside of the Kaaba and you still pray inside of the Kaaba. I don't think you could really probably manage to do it with the crowds and stuff, but it's an interesting point to be aware of. Uh, there's actually a narration where Aisha radiallahu anha, she says, when I expressed the wish to perform salah inside of the Kaaba, the Prophet sallam, took me by the hand and led me into the Hijr, Hijr Ismail, the Hatim area. He took me into that area and he said, perform salah here if you wish to enter the Kaaba because this is part of the Baytullah. So he actually took her there and told her she can pray salah there, radiallahu anha. <coughs> Uh, another narration quotes Aisha as saying, It makes no difference to me whether I perform salat within the hatim or inside of the Kaaba itself. Because for her, it's still inside of the Kaaba. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also narrated from many saintly ulama that du'as are accepted beneath the mizab al rahma within the hatim. So you have that water spout that goes into the area of the hatim. Some Many people of knowledge said that their du'as are answered there. Um, so you can keep that in mind, inshallah. Uh, as we mentioned, there was there were multiple buildings and breakings of the Kaaba in that early period, and then when they asked Imam Malik about it, 
Imam Malik uh, gave the beautiful statement of O Amir al-Mu'mineen For Allah's sake do not make the Kaaba a toy of the kings With one deciding to build it according to his taste And then another demolishing it to reconstruct it according to his likes In this manner the honor and respect for the Kaaba Will disappear from the hearts of the people So they left it Because it was destroyed and it was rebuilt destroyed, And they were like okay It was rebuilt the second time on, on the old way like Meaning not the full way Abdullah ibn Zubair had rebuilt it on the full way and then they they broke that part and they put it back to the old way and then they realized that the old way was actually not the right way the way that Abdullah ibn Zubair had done it was the right way politics you know so Imam Malik told them just leave it because you're going to make you're going to make it disappear from the hearts of the people it's going to ruin the respect of the Kaaba and the hearts of the people uh, the Mizab Rahma like we said is the, uh, the water spout that comes out the other important thing is Ar-Ruknu Yamani which is the Yemeni corner, I guess you can say. <coughs> so when you're facing the Hajr al-Aswad, you're facing the corner that has the Hajr al-Aswad, and Tawaf is going to your right, counterclockwise. To your left there, the last corner before the Hajr al-Aswad is the Rukn Yemeni, is the Yemeni corner. And it's called that. Why do you think? Because it faces Yemen. <laughs> I didn't know if anyone was actually going to guess. But Dr. Yama was, mashallah, brave. It's the Yemeni corner. <laughs> so, uh, they say that this also is one of the um, corners of the Kaaba that the Prophet would make a stilam of. Stilam is like to basically touch the corner. So when the Prophet ﷺ would go by this corner, he would touch that corner just uh, as he would touch uh, the Hajr al-Ismail. I mean the Hajr al-Aswad, sorry. Uh, so he would, and it's narrated from other people as well, that for example, Sa'id ibn Jubair, rahimahullah, Sa'id ibn Jubair was from the great scholars of the Tabi'een. There is a really good book, I don't know if you can find it anymore. It's called The Scholar and the Tyrant. Sheikh Qaradawi wrote it. It's like a, a play. He wrote it as a play between like a like a you know like a theatrical type thing uh, of Sa'id ibn Jubair and Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf was the ruler at that time who killed Sa'id ibn Jubair. And they say this was like the biggest crime because Sa'id ibn Jubair was from the great great people of the Tabi'in. So it has like a little back and forth and stuff. It's nice to get like a literary take on it. So Sayyid ibn Jubair used to pass by the Rukn Yamani and he would touch it with his hands and he would place it on his mouth. So he would touch the, the Rukn with his hand and then he would put his hand on his mouth like he's kissing his hand. Mujahid, who's also from the scholars of the Tabi'een, said that du'as made while placing the hand on the Rukn Yamani are accepted. Of course, the same rule that applies to the Hajr al-Aswad applies to the Rukn Yamani, that you shouldn't be trying to touch it so much that you harm people or yourself. Uh, but that if you're able to get to it and make du'a and stuff, then that's that's a good thing to do. In the inside of the Kaaba, there's a lot of information about it. Um, I'm just going to say one thing in case it ever happens that any of us are able to get inside of the Kaaba and have enough freedom to do this one thing. But uh, then that is the following. The, there is a... When you enter from the door of the Kaaba... Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhu, he entered the Kaaba and he walked straight ahead until he was standing approximately three arms lengths from the opposite wall. And he performed salat right there with his back to the door. 
And he did this because Bilal radiallahu an informed him that this is where the Prophet had performed salat. Okay. So that particular spot inside of the Kaaba, he had knowledge that the Prophet had prayed in that spot, so he prayed in that spot. Three arms length from the wall. Walk in the door, three arms length from the wall. Allahu alam, you never know. You might have a chance. <coughs> so that's that's the Kaaba. The door of the Kaaba at the time of Sayyidina Ibrahim was at was at ground level. And there are two doors. There was a door on the east side and a door on the west side. Door on the east side and door on the west side at the time of Ibrahim When Quraysh rebuilt the Kaaba, they uh, they made the door higher. As people probably know when you've seen pictures and stuff now, the door is not at ground level. It's elevated. And uh, Aisha asked the Prophet them why Quraysh had done that. And the Prophet them responded, Notice how so many of these narrations are coming from Aisha, by the way. So like the conversations they're having. You know? Ya Rasulullah, why'd they do this? You know, what's going this is like there and we're getting all these narrations because of her, Radiallahu Anha. He said, Your people did it so that they could permit into the Kaaba only those people whom they approved of and could prevent those whom they pleased had your people not been recently removed from ignorance and had I not feared that they would be averse to change I would have included the Hatim within the Kaaba and brought the door level <coughs> to the ground and I would have made two doors one on the east and one on the west like it was in the time of Sayyidina Ibrahim so he says he would have done all that but uh, the way it is now is not that way <coughs> Interestingly enough, the key to the Kaaba is in the same family from the time of the Prophet That when the Muslims conquered Mecca in the year 8 after Hijra, the Prophet ﷺ took the key from Uthman ibn Talha, opened the door, and then he went in. When he came out, he said, All ill-gotten wealth and unlawfully spilt blood from the period of ignorance are now trampled beneath my feet. However, providing water for the people performing Hajj and rendering service to the Kaaba shall be preserved. And then he recited the verse, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَن تُؤَدُّ الْأَمَانَاتِ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا Allah commands you to give the responsibilities to the people who deserve them, to the people who, the rightful owners of those responsibilities. And then he handed the key back to Uthman ibn Talha radiallahu an, and he told him, take this key, O progeny of Uthman, this shall now remain among you, among your descendants forever, and none but a tyrant shall take it away from you. So he said, this is, it's going to be in your family. And it still is up to today. Has anyone taken it? Doesn't he, in this book, he doesn't mention that it has been taken as of yet. And Allahu A'lam, when that might happen on this live stream. And there's a lock on the Kaaba's door. And the other thing about the Kaaba is the Ghilaf. The Ghilaf is the cover of the Kaaba. It's said that Sayyidina Ismail salam, was the first who shrouded the Kaaba with the cover. And uh, there's other historical reports, but suffice it to say that people have covered it throughout time. Uh, for a good port portion of history, for like, you know, from about 1250 after Hijra until maybe f 50 years ago, the Ghilaf used to come from Egypt, and so at some, some points Yemen as well, but largely from Egypt. And that continued until, with some breaks here and there, but that continued until maybe about 50 years ago that the cover of the Kaaba was made in Egypt for all that time. Um, if you want to see what the Kaaba looks like without the cover, you watch the live stream on the day of Arafah. On the day of Arafah in Hajj. You know, so that's, no one's in the Kaaba on the day of Arafah, right? Because everyone's 
in Ana Arafa, and uh, that's when they change the cover. The yearly change of the cover, they do it on that day. It's pretty cool if you t if you can remember and you turn it on and you catch it during the daytime just to see kind of like the Kaaba without the cover on it. You can you know, uh, you can find pictures and stuff. There's a picture, but it's cool to see the video. Um, There's a special dua between the Yamani and the Hajar Aswad to be exact. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسْنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسْنَةً وَقِنَا That's yeah. I miss. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. It was there. I had noted it too. How did I miss that? There it is. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسْنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسْنَةً وَقِنَا أَذَابٍ نَارٍ The Prophet used to make when going between the Rukn Yamani and the Hajar Aswad on that face of the. Thank you, Shoaib. And it's changed, like I said, on the day of Arafah. So that's the covering of the Kaaba. There's a whole section in the book about like all of the different sides of the Ghilaf and the verses that they have on them and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to go into that right now. The other thing about the Kaaba is that the Kaaba is the is the earthly representation in a sense, or the I don't know if you could say representation, but it's it's the there's a Kaaba on earth, and then there's the Beit al Ma'mur that's in the it's in the heavens, and that's the one that there's a narration where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or I should say Ali and Abdullah bin Abbas in their commentary on Wal Beit al Ma'mur in Surah Tur say that the Beit al Ma'mur is in is a house in the heavens directly above the Kaaba, and it's revered the way that the Kaaba is on earth, and every day seventy thousand angels make tawaf around it. And none of them ever come back. So this is in Beit al-Ma'mur. And then in our earthly realm, there's the there's the Kaaba. Uh, the major worship to do in Mecca, if you're not doing Umrah and other things and praying the Salawat and stuff like that, is to make Tawaf. Tawaf is they say Tawaf is the Tahiyat al-Masjid of of the Masjid al-Haram, and it's <coughs> it's an act of worship that you really can't do anywhere else. You know. Generally speaking, when there's an act of worship that has a particular time or place, it takes priority over other things that don't have particular times or places. So in this case, the tawaf is not something that you can do anywhere else. Right? You can only do it in, in around the Kaaba. So uh, that would take priority there. The Prophet wasallam said, tawaf around the Kaaba is like salat, except that you may speak. So whoever speaks during tawaf should ensure that they spe what they speak is good. They should ensure that what they speak is good And they should try to have concentration Try to focus There's some lines of poetry that basically say that Oh, who's going around the Kaaba And you're not, and your mind is, is in a different place And your heart is in a different place Like this tawaf around the Kaaba doesn't heal The anxieties and the hurt that the person has Except for, for the person who's paying attention Right, so this The one Tawaf without presence of heart and concentration Is truly unable to cure grief and worry yeah, people take selfies. People do different things. It's like their Instagram stories being updated on all sides of the Kaaba. Allahu Alam. I mean, you know, I don't know why people do those kind of things. They might have good intentions. They might even be rewarded for it. I don't know. It seems like it would be good to focus, but maybe, maybe the person's maybe they've been there for like a couple days and they've already made tawaf twelve times and like now they took out their phone. I don't know. 
There's all kinds of possibilities. Maybe they're FaceTiming their auntie who can't wa- can't ride a plane anymore and she wanted to go to Mikdala. I don't know. I don't But we should revere these places is the point. And, uh, you know, however that may be. The Maqam Ibrahim also is in that area. The biggest virtue of the Maqam Ibrahim is that Allah commanded us to take it as a place that we pray. وَاتَّخِذُوا مِن مَقَامِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ مُصَلَّى uh, take take the area around the maqam of Ibrahim as a place where you pray, and the maqam Ibrahim is the spot where Ibrahim salam stood when he was like the rock that he stood on. It's there when he was building the Kaaba. Uh, we had mentioned before that there's different narrations around it, but uh, and Ibn Kathir says in Al Bidayah and Nihayah that uh, it used to be closer to the Kaaba, and in the time of Omar radiAllahu an, he moved it back. But Allahu Alam, point is that it's there, and the footprints of Sayyidina Ibrahim are there in the stone. I was just watching a documentary on the life of Shaykh al-Sha'rawi, rahimahullah, a few days ago, and um, it was talking about how he, at, er, at an earlier point in his life, he had a time when he spent in Mecca, in, in, in Arabia, and uh, that was one of the things that happened while he was there, was a conversation about what to do with the Maqam Ibrahim, and like, because it was much bigger. It was a big dome that was around it and stuff. And so they were thinking about just removing it entirely. And then it's in the documentary, it says that he had come up with the idea that it is how it is now, that he had come up with that idea and he wrote the king about it and he accepted it. And here it makes it more general. Allahu alam what the truth is. The point is that it used to have a big dome around it and uh, or it used to have like a big structure around it. And now it has, as you guys could probably have seen, like the really small structure that has the glass that's really strong so you can see in um, but you can't actually get to it there's all these are the old pictures too which is uh, last time we mentioned this this idea of the gate of Beni Sheba that the Prophet and them uh, came through and and the whole when they were rebuilding the Kaaba and they said whoever comes through the gate and it was the Prophet and them who came into the masjid he came from the gate of Beni Sheba it's not there anymore but in these old pictures it's there it's basically in front of uh, uh, like in front of the the direction of the door of the Kaaba and just before the Maqam Ibrahim so that uh, uh, kind of around there I guess so it's more as you say it's kind of it's on the face of the Kaaba that has the door ish is that what that is or maybe towards the corner it's a bit, it's close by there anyways where the Prophet on them a lot of the Quraysh used to come into the Masjid al-Haram from that side because they lived on that side. It's it's inside more. It's like in this picture. Uh, here's how it is in this one. It's this this little green thing. Okay. That used to be there. Yeah. It used to be there. It's not there anymore. Is it there in the picture? Yeah. Yeah. It's inside the Haram now. A lot of things are inside the Haram now. It's uh, this happens when you grow. Alhamdulillah. A uh, place where the du'as are accepted. Maqam Ibrahim is also a place where du'as are accepted. Hassan al-Basri and numerous other righteous people said the du'a behind the Maqam Ibrahim is a place where the du'a is accepted. It's also a sign that Allah made this earth, this stone that Sayyidina Ibrahim stood on. Allah made for his footprints to be in that place and preserved it. No, there's no relic. He says that there's no relic from earlier prophets and stuff like that that we know like for sure is preserved 
other than this this spot where Sayyidina Ibrahim salam stood. So it's quite remarkable in in, in that uh, in that regard. And then there's more details about it. We'll just uh, skip those. Mm-hmm. The well of Zamzam, the well of Zamzam, I think is yeah, more or less well known. You can't really access it, as far as I know anymore. Maybe if you're special, you can, but it used to be easier back <coughs> in the day. And uh, it's there, close to the Kaaba. We know the story already. We covered it on the first day, so we won't do that again. Um, it's uh, it, one interesting point here is that um, it says that until the recent past, water was still drawn from Zemzem by bucket. And it was only in the year 1953 that electric pumps were installed to pump the water into tanks and then extracted by tap. Only 1953. So up until 1953, you're still pulling buckets out of Zemzem. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> SubhanAllah, how many buckets were coming out of there? It must have been remarkable to see. So that's Zemzem. Uh, the basic thing to know about Zemzem is that the Prophet ﷺ said that Ma'u Zemzem lima shuri bala that the water of Zamzam is for that which it is drinking for. So one should make a good intention and they can seek uh, healing through it, they can seek purification through it, they can seek whatever they like through drinking Zamzam. And one should face the Qibla and drink with their right hand and of course say Bismillah. And follow the general sunnahs of drinking. The right hand, say Bismillah, take three sips. Uh, in this case you face the Qibla as well. And it's sunnah actually to stand while drinking zamzam, although one can sit as well, it's not like there's no harm in it. Um, and you can make any dua that you want. Some of the righteous people used to make all kinds of duas for this, you know. Uh, I forget who it was, I want to say maybe Ibn Hajar, or one, one of these great hadith scholars. It's narrated from him that he went and he visited Mecca, and when he drank the zamzam, he asked to have like, Similar rank in hadith as one of his predecessors, you know, and it was it was one of these great hadith scholars of that period who mentioned like one person from the generation before him, and then he himself, of course, became a great scholar of hadith as well. So that zamzam is important. Allah give us the opportunity to drink from it. Uh, the other main thing here in the area of the haram is Safa and Marwa. Safa and Marwa. There's a lot of things actually on Safa. So first and foremost Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in as-safa wal marwa min sha'airillah that the mounts of Safa and Marwa are from the landmarks of Allah <coughs> like these are the landmarks of the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth and there's many things that happened at Safa so for example it's good to think of these things because you can think about them when you go there one of them is that the story in the early seerah when the Prophet them went up the mountain and he told them, I'm warning, if I was to warn you that there's an army that's coming behind this mountain, would you believe me? They said, yes. He said, I'm warning you that a punishment is coming from Allah for those who don't believe and so on and so forth. That incident happened at Safa. That happened at Safa. Um, another major incident that happened at uh, the mountain of Safa is that Jibreel السلام, came to the Prophet them one time and what happened was Quraysh had asked him pray to your Lord to turn Safa into gold for us and we'll believe in you so Quraysh told him if you turn that ma- pray to Allah he turns that mountain into gold we'll believe in you so Jibreel came to the Prophet them. he told him if you want we can turn it into gold uh, but if they fail to believe afterwards I'm going to give them a punishment That they've never experienced Like no one before them has ever seen a punishment Like the punishment they're going to get If they don't believe after this happens right? 
uh, it's very similar to the end of uh, Surah Al-Ma'idah, right? And the story of Isa salam and his disciples. And they asked for it. They said they asked for the table. And Isa asked for the table. And then Allah responded. He said, I'm going to give you the table. But if they disbelieve after this, like it's, it's going to be... It's going to be serious. So after Jibril said that, he said, or we can leave it and the door of repentance and mercy will be open to them. And the Prophet ﷺ responded by saying, I prefer that the door of repentance be left open for them. And uh, that's when this verse of Surah Al-Isra was revealed. وَمَا مَنَعْنَا أَن نُرْسِلَ بِالْآيَاتِ إِلَّا أَن كَذَّبَ بِهَا الْأَوَّلُونَ And the only thing that stopped us from sending miracles and all of these things was that people before rejected them. So it's actually a mercy in some ways, right? That if you send the miracle and the miracle's right there and the person rejects it, now that it's a it's a lot more serious thing, and the repentance is different. It also mentions in this book that that whole story with uh, Hamza's conversion, when Hamza came back and he heard what the Prophet said, Abu Jahan had said different things to the Prophet that were disrespectful and so on, and then Hamza comes with his bow from his hunting trip and he hits Abu Jahan in the face and he declares his shahada. Like he says that that incident happened also very close to Safa. Uh, also, when the Prophet ﷺ came for the conquest of Mecca, he told Khalid ibn Walid to take some men around the other side and enter Mecca from the low-lying part, then gather at Safa because this will be our rendezvous point. So their rendezvous point when they came into conquest of Mecca was in the area of Safa. Because um, at Safa has a lot of stuff. Mm. Also the Prophet them. it says after conquering Mecca he went to the Hajar al-Aswad then started to perform tawaf after performing tawaf he went to Safa and he faced the Kaaba and he started to praise Allah and to make dua and he said because Safa had been the place from where Islam was first announced publicly during the times of Islam when it had no support and now that it had support he wanted to like declare it from the same spot you know so he it's like re- renewing the relationship with that place um Mm, also Hind and several other women when uh, this whole when Hind accepted Islam and took the took the bay'ah to the Prophet along with several other women it happened at Safa as well so there's a number of things that happened there it's also said that the Dabba one of the opinions is the Dabba you know the Dabba people don't like to talk about these things anymore because like you know the creature that's going to speak and come out of the earth at the end of times that's the dabba it's in the quran so what else are you going to do right <laughs> like it's it's not in you can't say it's in a hadith that you know it's a doubtable hadith or whatever the verse says when the promise of the end of times will be fulfilled to them we shall bring forth to them a creature from the earth who will speak to them saying um, the people were not convinced of our signs right so that one of the opinions is that that will happen also at Safa another one is that it will be at the Mount of Abu Qubais which is right next to the Masjid al-Haram so there are similar areas um, the Mas'ah is the area that's between Safa and Marwa right that Sayyidah Hajjad ran between between Safa and Marwa is the Mas'ah the area you, you go between um, feet Feet are usually take a beating on that part. Uh, so we already know that story because we talked about it before. Her running between and stuff. 
when the Prophet Sallallahu started from Safa and he climbed to the top of it, he faced the Kaaba and he used to say, he used to say, when he goes to Safa, the verse from Surah Al-Baqarah. And he would also say, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah, lahun mulku lahun hamduhu ala kulli shayin qadir. La ilaha illallah wahda anjaza wa'da wa nasara abda wa hazaman ahzaba wahda. So he used to make that dua. Um, and that's the, that's the, sub- and then there's the renovations and stuff, that's okay. Um, the, of course, the reward of prayer in the Masjid al-Haram, it's the first Masjid on the earth, it's greatest Masjid on earth, the reward there for prayer is a hundred thousand times greater than the reward of Salah in any other place. So the major priority when a person is in Mecca is to catch the Salawat in, in, in the Haram, because the, the amount of reward is significantly greater. Um, that being said, you know, our relationship with Allah should not be the relationship of a person who's filing taxes at the end of the year and like trying to be particular about numbers and stuff like that. There's great rewards, so we don't miss it. But, you know, some people will be like, well, if there's that much reward for praying in Mecca, then I'm just going to skip Salah all my life. And then I'm going to go to Mecca. I'm going to pray the Salah. I'm going to pray one Dhuhr in Mecca. It's going to take care of 50 years of my life or whatever it is. I think he has 55 years, six months and 20 days. So I'm like <laughs> 55 years in, be like, I'm going to go actually. 70 years in, I'm going to go and make this Salah. So, don't do that kind of stuff. Allah is Allah. From the early time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, actually, the uh, the Salawat around the um, uh, the prayer in the Masjid al-Haram wasn't all the way around the Kaaba like it is now, in a full circle. Before, that used to be like behind the Maqam Ibrahim, and just that direction, one direction they used to do the salat in. But as more and more people came, then obviously you have to kind of go around the Kaaba in its entirety. So it's narrated that Ata uh, Ibn Juraj asked Ata. Ata again is from the scholars of the Tabi'een and from the scholars of the Haramin. Uh, when there are not too many people, uh, when there are not many people, should they all perform salat behind the Maqam Ibrahim or all around the Kaaba? And then he said basically they should go around the Kaaba. And he gave this verse, It's an interesting istidlal. So he quoted the verse about the angels and they're, they're circling all around the arsh. So if the angels are circling all around the arsh, he said, well, you can make the salat with everyone circle around the Kaaba. The other thing to note is when you're in outside of, uh, I'll just read the quote, the Kaaba is the qibla of the people within the Masjid al-Haram. And the mission of the Haram is the Qibla for the people uh, within the Haram. And then, like, basically the point is, when you're outside of Mecca, you face towards Mecca. It doesn't have to be super exact. When you're in the Masjid, you have to face the Kaaba, the Kaaba itself. That's your Qibla. So if you're, like, a little bit off, you know, like, when you were here and we're facing this way, and we're a little bit off, Salah is still valid. But if you're in the Kaaba and like if you're in the if you're in the Haram and that's the Kaaba and you face a little bit off, it's you're off now. So <laughs> that's where the lines are important and stuff. Pay attention. He has a whole section on how for fourteen hundred years the Salat of Tarawih and the Masjid has been twenty rakat. We're just going to skip that because you know it's not necessary for us right now. Just know that it was always twenty rakat from the time of Omar ibn Khattab radiAllahu an up to today. 
there's a good point right here on the idea, the issue of passing in front of a worshiper inside of the Masjid al-Haram. So it gets really crowded, right? Sometimes you're going to be passing in front of someone while they're praying. Um, so he quotes this book. One of them, obviously if someone has a sutra, you can pass in front of their sutra, right? If they have something that's blocking their space, you can pass in front of it. If they're following an imam, you can pass between them and an imam. That's, that's a general, these are all general rules, by the way. They're not specific to the Masjid al-Haram, they just come up more there. So like if we're in the, the majlis, and there's the imam, and you have to like pass through the saf, go in front of the first saf to get to like this side over here with the second saf, that's okay. As long as you don't go in front of the imam, you can pass by the people who are not the, the, the followers. Um, it's permissible to, fa- to pass, uh, he says it's permissible for one to pass in front of people performing salah on the mutaf while one is performing tawaf. So they're performing salah in the area of the tawaf, and you're making tawaf, you can pass in front of them. Uh, you can pass in front of the worshippers place of sajda So if even if they don't have anything blocking them as long as you're past where they're gonna make sujood You're okay. This is a general thing to remember also uh, If they're in a walkway or something like that and you can't get in any other way than to pass in front You know you're stuck you, you can pass in front of them uh, Okay, okay Hadrat Omar his expansion Mahdi Abbasi, their expansion. We don't need to do all the expansions. Okay. Air conditioning plant. Anyone? No? Please. Drainage. Mina. We're not going to spend time on Mina and Muzdalifa and these things because this is more Umrah specific. But, um, you know. Yeah, we'll just skip those. But there's some interesting places. Like in Mina, there's Masjid Khaif and the Prophet Sallallahu them prayed there. And uh, spend some time there. There's also a cave that's nearby that area where Surah Al-Mursalat was revealed. It's called the Cave of Al-Mursalat. Um, there's the Jamarat, of course, that we know about. Um, stone pillars, we know. There's the Wadi Army of the Elephants, Muzdalifa, Muzdalifa, Masjid Al-Haram, the Plain of Arafah. There's different reasons. Some people say different reasons why the Plain of Arafah is known as Arafah. <coughs> One of them they say is that when uh, Adam salam and Hawa salam were sent down to the earth, this is where they met and they recognized each other. So they Arafah. Um, another another reason they, they said that is that after Ibrahim salam was taught the rights of Hajj by Jibril, salam and Jibril asked him, "Do you know him? Do you know them now?" And he said, "I know them now." Uh, again, Arafah, same same kind of words. They also say that one of the reasons why it's called that. Is that it derives its name from the fact that people go there to ask for forgiveness and beg for forgiveness. So there's an i'tiraf, there's an acknowledgement of their sins. So all of these are possibilities. Allahu alam. But that's the plane of Arafah. Again, since it were in Umrah, it's not, you know, you don't spend as much time there. There's Masjid Namira is there. The Prophet them spent time in that area. What's interesting is there's a lot of masajid, basically. It'll be like the Prophet spent time here, so now there's a masjid there. Mm-hmm. The Prophet prayed two rak'ah there, so now you find a masjid there. So there's like it's kind of cool when you when you read it because you're like, Subhanallah, all these things have a story to them. Um, like look at this masjid al-Sakhra, Jabal al-Rahma is where the peak of Arafah is, right? Jabal al-Rahma. So it says this masjid, masjid al-Sakhra, is located on the right foot of Jabal al-Rahma. It lies on a slope and is above ground level. 
It is surrounded by a low wall that encloses the boulders near which Rasulullah seated his camel Qaswa and then proceeded to make dua. So basically this masjid, this place is at the spot where the Prophet them sat down on rocks and made dua during during his hajj. So that's masjid al-sakhra. It's so beautiful, subhanAllah. Qaswa was the one that uh, w- refused to go in Hudaybiyah. Yeah. And uh, the Prophet them said that she's being held by the same one that held the elephant in the story of the elephant. They they tried to say that Qas was disobeying, and the and the Prophet said no, she's not disobeying, and that's not her character. And the one the one who's holding her is the one who held the elephant in the in the army of the elephants. It's beautiful how he talked about the camel, Subhanallah. Um, so then he's backwards to these boulders, and he was making face the qibla. He's making du'a. It was at this spot that Allah revealed al yawma akmaltu lakum dinakum wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati wa radiitu lakum al Islam adina, which is like the end all, right? This is the day when I've chosen Islam for you and this is your way and this is the end of the blessing that, you know, this is the culmination of Islam is revealed in that spot. So there's all these little things like that. Um, Alright, there's some other places. The Prophet them's birthplace. Oh man, it's 9 o'clock. We're so close. We're so close, but we have to stop. Because if we don't stop, it's going to get too late. But we're so close. We don't have that many weeks left. If you have to leave, leave. But we're going to go, inshallah. They're not that long. These things don't need that long. Rasulullah's birthplace. Uh, it's located opposite Marwa and close to the valley of Abu Talib. This site is a famous one. And now it's there's a library there. I don't know if it's still the case, but this is what it was when the author wrote this book. Uh, it's called Maktaba, Mecca, and Mukarrama. That's where the Prophet There's even a picture of the building. That's where the Prophet birthplace is. Okay. The cave of Hira. The cave of Hira we already kind of spoke about. This is where the Quran was first revealed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in uh, in Jabal Nur. And he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam once addressed the mountain, told it to be still. Now there's a lot of beautiful things like that. Dara Arqam. Dara Arqam, this is a good one. Dara Arqam is the place where the Prophet ﷺ used to meet the companions early in Islam and teach them the Quran and stuff. It's where Umar ibn Khattab's conversion happens, all of these things. And uh, it was secret for a while. Of course, after the life of the Prophet ﷺ, everyone knows where this place is. And it was just, in the early period, it was just outside of the Masa'ah, a little bit east, 36 meters east of Safa. In the early, early period of Harun and Rashid. However, now that it's expanded and everything else, it's basically part of the area that you do Masa'in. But there's a door that's called Door of the Door of Dara Arqam that's close to where it used to be. So you get an idea of where it is when you're making that area. Okay, we rise to the valley. Dara Nadwa. Dara Nadwa is northwest of the Kaaba. It's hard to tell exactly where it is in his description, but it's northwest of the Kaaba. Dara Nadwa is where the people of Quraysh used to meet, have their conversations, where they plotted against the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The final, the meeting that they had when they decided to kill him right before the Hijra. All of these kind of things. All of them happened in Dara Nadwa. It's just northwest of the Kaaba. There's the that what you call it, right? Hislo. Hislo, yeah, you can get the Hislo app. It's pretty cool. Uh, and then look it up, and it, you can actually like it'll give you. You can put the picture on the places, and it'll tell you what's where and stuff. 
the house of Hadrat Khadija. Hazrat Khadija, very important. Zainab is born there, Ruqayya is born there, Umm Kuthum is born there, Fatima is born there, Khadija passed away there. The Prophet and then they got married there. Um, this is where the Prophet left from when they went for the Hijra, all of these different things, right? So uh, it's it's in, it says in here in the end it was incorporated into the courtyard of the Masjid Haram, Allahu Alam, exactly where that is. It's not really clear in the description that he gives. Is it there? Yeah, and CD Peter Sanders pictures. Yeah, it's there. You can kind of look. That's gonna be for three days. No comment on that. There's all these other masajid that are just in the area of Mecca. So there's a masjid called Masjid Al Bayah, uh, where it's in Mina, where the Ansar pledged their allegiance to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So when the Ansar came and they gave allegiance to the Prophet sallallahu which predates the Hijra, which leads up to the Hijra, there's a masjid there called Masjid Bayah. Um, I think they changed the name now. Did he say that in here? But it's it's there. Uh, there's also a masjid called Masjid Jinn in the Ma'la district. Ma'la is a district of Mecca. Masjid Jinn is where a large group of jinn accepted Islam at the hands of the Prophet them. There's an incident where the Prophet was with the companions. He told them, I'm, if someone wants to see what's up with the jinn, basically, come with me now. Everyone is like, okay, you're... <laughs> Abdullah bin Mas'ud went with him. So he says he went with him and they got to a certain point and the Prophet drew a circle in the ground and he told him, you stay in here and don't leave from it. And I'm going to go do what I need to do. And he went and he started reciting the Quran and different things and the jinn started to show up and they took they, they accepted him as the Prophet them. That's in Masjid Jinn. It's Masjid Haras now. <coughs> it's pretty epic. <laughs> Here's the circle. Stay in the circle. Um... And then there's Masjid Shajara, where is there's a uh, it's opposite of Masjid Jinn. They're like very close to each other, which is one of these incidents where the Prophet and them asked the tree to move, and the tree moved, mm-hmm. and then they they put a Masjid there, uh, and then he told to go back. Masjid Shajara, Masjid of the tree, and there's Masjid Raya, Masjid of the flag, the banner, Masjid Raya where uh, the Prophet them instructed that the flag should be put at the conquest of Mecca. And there's a masjid there now. Um, <coughs> uh, so like I said, there's all these incidents that happen and then they have masjid for them now. They, they mark the spots. There's the masjid Khalid ibn Walid. That when Mecca was being conquered, Khalid ibn Walid went from the lower part of Mecca and he planted the flag in a particular spot as he was doing that. And that became where this masjid is now. Uh, and then from there he proceeded to the uh, to the area of Safa, as we already mentioned. Um, there's a masjid called Fatah at Jamum. That's about 25 kilometers north of Mecca. 18 kilometers from Masjid Aisha. This is where, uh, basically there was a battle that took place there, but also when the Prophet Sallallahu was going to conquer Mecca, he, st- he camped there with 10,000 Sahaba. So this is now Masjid Fatah al-Jamun, because when it was Fatah Mecca, they were on the way to Fatah Mecca, they camped there with 10,000 Sahaba. Now there's a Masjid there. And last two, three, last three, inshallah. And then next week we go, we move on to Medina. Inshallah, we go to the book on Medina next week. The the one of them is the canal of Zubaydah. Zubaydah was the wife of the Abbasi Khalifa Harun al Rashid, who died in one seventy four after Hijra. Basically, she um, 
she directed that this canal should be built in order to facilitate water to be brought in for the pilgrims and all this kind of stuff. And it actually brought water to the area for 1,200 years. Can you imagine being the person who, person who commissioned that? She, she commissioned a project that brought water to people for 1,200 years, subhanAllah. And of course, it, you know, it started to wear down over time. This book says that apparently 20 years ago they were talking about restoring it. I don't know what the case is now. Then there's the Ma'ala graveyard, as we mentioned. Ma'ala graveyard is actually an important graveyard. A lot of people don't visit it, but it's a it's an important graveyard in Mecca. And it's where Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu anha is buried. She's buried in Jannat al-Ma'ala, the graveyard of Ma'ala. The Prophet actually said what an excellent place is this graveyard. He actually praised the graveyard of Ma'ala. And there's a lot of righteous people that have been buried there throughout history. In the modern period, like the um, um, the the family of uh, Sayyid Muhammad ibn Alawi and Maliki, rahimahullah, he's buried there, his father is buried there, a lot of them are buried there. Uh, one of our community members, her father is buried there. I'll leave out who that is. Um, and others. And the last one is a place called Sarif, which is outside of Mecca, which is the burial place of Umm al-Mu'minin, Maymuna, radiallahu anha. Uh, she stayed there, you know. She. This is actually. Uh, she was in Mecca, <coughs> and her basically, she was in Mecca and she was getting ill and she didn't have any family and stuff like that. She told the people, "Take me outside of Mecca, because I'm not going to die here." Because the Prophet Sallallahu told me that I'm not going to die in Mecca. So they took her outside of Mecca and she died in this place beneath the tree where she married the Prophet Sallallahu and it's there that she was buried. So this is the grave of uh, Sayyidah Maymuna, Umina, our mother, huh? There's a picture of it. It's just off the side of the road. He says, uh, her grave lies on the right-hand side of the Hijra road, 20 kilometers before entering Mecca. So you probably pass it by on the way in. It's, it's like the picture just shows like, you know, a little grave. Can't tell. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the opportunity to visit his sacred places. And to benefit from the history that's there, inshallah. I mean, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.